Well, to you alone, to you alone, Jesus Christ, all praise belongs. Because you are exalted over all. There is no other name in heaven and on earth by which we must be saved other than your name, the perfect name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, the one who has all authority over heaven and on earth as it is given to him by the Father, the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has commissioned us for a mission. You are our king and you have given us a mission, an entrustment that you have said you will be with us to the end of the age to help see that fulfilled by your grace and your power and your mercy and for your glory. And so Father, right now as we recognize your son, Jesus Christ, as our king, may we humble ourselves. You are the king, Jesus, and we are your servants. No servant is greater than his master. You say what you want to say to us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, please come and meet with us. As we open up your word, may we submit to your authority under it, God. And not in pride, rail against it, but in humility say, here I am, Lord, change me. I want to love you more. And so right now, whatever distractions are coming in here from the week, I pray we just take a moment and cast that on you because you care for us. Cast on you. May we know your manifested presence here. Speak to every heart through conviction, through encouragement, through refreshment. And find hearts that are hungry for you to be united in the gospel. I pray all these things for the glory of your name. Be with my mouth, Jesus. Say what you want to say, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. If you do not have a copy of God's Word in front of you, just slip your hand up because our ushers are coming forward right now. We want to put a Bible in your lap so you can continue to follow along. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And it's on page 487 of those Bibles that are being handed out to you. 487. Well, last week we introduced our theme for the year, one which everything we do this ministry year, from the pulpit to the worship to the ministry opportunities, moves us towards is walking in Christ. And we looked at from Colossians 2 what it means for a believer and for a church to be alive in Christ, to be rooted in Him, to be built up in Him, and to be ultimately established. In him. And so from the overflow of that launch, we launch into our first sermon series of the year called Discovering Hope. Discovering Hope. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at the mission that Christ has given his church and entrusted it with. And what he calls his church to uphold if they are to be alive or walking in him and see his mission that he's entrusted to us fulfill. And these are the things that you're going to see, these, these distinctives here. These are the things that we are committed to uphold. And we're going to be walking through each of them. What it means for us as a church. And why is it so important? I mean, this is the start of the year. You want to, you know, you want to kick off with a bang and think, of like, why, why is it so important that we go back to the mission that we have entrusted with to start this year with? And the answer is quite simple, actually, because you'll see it on the screen. If the church is alive in Christ, the church will be living on mission for Christ. If a church is alive in Christ, a church is living on mission for Christ. Not just on a doctrinal statement, but in word, in action, through the authority of the word. If the church is alive in Christ, the church will be living on mission for Christ. But that brings up a question, loved ones, doesn't it? What is the mission? What's the mission? If a church that's alive in Christ is going to be living on mission for Christ, we need to ask, what is the mission that Christ has entrusted his church with? And here's why that's such an important question, because there's a very big problem in our society today, and it is this. There is increasing mission drift happening in the church. 
there is increasing mission drift happening and increasing numbers of believers and even entire churches are pursuing the mission of men and not the mission of God. Increasingly. We, we see this through some examples of a compromise to culture. Let's just water down the truth of God's word. So therefore we'll be more relevant to the culture. We'll be more accessible to the culture. We'll be ultimately more part of the culture. Or, or we pursue man-centered strategies for growth. How do we bring more people in? How do we have the most ministry programs? How do we do this? How do we... Stop. Nothing wrong with ministry programs in and of themselves. But are we relying on them? If we do, we drift. And the result is, we see this distracted, fruitless, and powerless individual believers and entire churches through whom the glory of God is absent. We looked at this last week from Revelation 3.1. Jesus says to the church in Sardis, he goes, I see your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but guess what? You're dead. That's a sobering word, loved ones. He says, I see it. You've got everything on the outside that looks alive. You're running all the stuff. You're doing all the things. You're dead. So we need to pay attention to what Christ's mission is that he's entrusted to us. There's one. And today in our text, we're going to see one mission Christ has given his church and three truths that we must, no, not, not an option, we must hold fast to if we are to be faithful in fulfilling this mission in his power and see his presence and glory in the church and his kingdom advanced through it. So let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. The Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, greatest promise right here, I am with you always to the end of the age. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, to fulfill the mission of the church, the first thing we see in the first three verses of this text is this. We must submit to one authority over all, Jesus Christ. We must submit to one authority over all, Jesus Christ. And the question that we are confronted with from these first three verses is this. Jesus Christ has all authority. Will I submit to him? Jesus Christ has all authority, will I submit to him? Look at verses 16 and 18. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's get some context here. We're in northern Israel, in the area of Galilee. And Jesus Christ has been crucified. At this point, but he has risen again three days later. And since his resurrection, it's this time period between his resurrection and his ascension. Back up to be at the right hand of the Father. And so we're in this time period and he's been appearing to his disciples over this time. At various times, why? To confirm who he was as the Messiah, the Son of God. The king over all. And so you see in verse 16, during this period between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus had directed or told his disciples, his 11 disciples. You say, wait a sec, I thought there were 12. There were, but Judas is no longer with them. He committed suicide. And he's no longer with them. So there's the 11 disciples. They head to Galilee. He told them, go to Galilee and I will meet you there on the mountain. That, the Greek word for mountain there is just hill. On the hill 
that I tell you and you will see me. And you can see that in Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, he says. You'll go ahead, tell them to go to Galilee and I will meet them there. And then in verse 17, notice what happens. This is interesting. When the disciples do see him, it says, some worshipped. Now, the, the Greek word there for worship is proskuneo, which is the actual word for adoration on bended knees. So there's real, genuine spirit and truth worship happening. But you notice what happened to some others. It said, but some, some doubted. Now, the meaning of that term doubt means this. Some wavered between two positions. Some were hesitant. It's like a crossroads they're at. And you say, well, wait a second. He's been appearing to them. Like for like 40 days, like what's going on? He's been making these appearances. Why would they even doubt? Hey, loved ones, remember, the disciples were real people, like you and me. One of the last times you saw Jesus, he was going in a tomb. And you're like, what does all this mean? He's risen from the dead, and what, what's going on here? Do I worship him? Do I, like, I, do I have lunch with him? Like, what do I do? They're doubted. They're real people. Does that not make you feel good? That makes me feel really good. Amen, amen. And so here's the reality. They're doubting. They're like, what does all this mean? And why does Jesus direct them to this hill in obscure little area of Galilee? Because Jesus would be leaving them very soon. It's not long before he's going to be ascended. And his purpose for bringing them here was to give them the mission to give them the charge, to give them the mission that he's entrusting them with to see his church established across the earth. But it wasn't just to give them the mission, it was to give them the instruction on how to do that, how he wanted it done, what he promised to bless, how it was to be accomplished. So basically, Jesus is giving them the missional blueprint for the expansion of the kingdom of God across the globe, the how and the what. And so we, this title you see here is called the Great Commission. Now, what's a commission? Just so we're on the same page. It is this, authoritative or mandated charge given by one in authority. You can just look at the dictionary and you find that. Authoritative or mandated charge given by one in authority. And so here, this picture on this little hill in Galilee, it's like the commencement ceremony for the disciples, the commencement, the beginning of this, the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth through the church. But notice this, before giving any direction, Jesus declares them not the direction for it, but his jurisdiction over it. Notice this, that is so key. Because Jesus, declaring his authority, sets the tone for everything else to follow. Why? Because every single part of this mission depends on Jesus having all authority. Every part of it. So he sets the tone. You see in verse 18 there, he says this. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The word authority there, this isn't just like, I'm a department head over this part of the world. I've got this area covered, but not the rest of it. Here's what authority means. The Greek for authority means this. Absolute sovereignty and power with universal jurisdiction. Exalted over all. It's not, like, it's not like, well, Jesus is like, well, I have authority over this part of your life, but not this part. I've got authority over Western civilization, but not Eastern. I don't have authority over the Middle East, but I got this. No. Absolute sovereignty and power with universal jurisdiction. If I could sum that up. I would just say this, Jesus is the king who has the final say over everything. He's the king. All of earth and heaven bow to him. Let's, let's just stop and recognize the magnitude of that because it's so easy to miss it. Because we just, yeah, okay, Jesus has authority. Can we really just drill down a little bit on what this means. It means one who has total or complete authority over every part of everything on heaven and earth.
earth. Every part of your life, everything in your life, and in this world, and in the heavens, complete authority. So you got some proof for that? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's great, it's great. Check this out. How about this? Authority over all creation. Look at John 1.3. All things, all things. That's like you and me and everything you see here and like everything you're going to see out there. Everything. All things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. Who's got authority? Jesus Christ. God's agent of creation. How about this? Not just creation. Here's a big one. Over death. Even death itself. 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57 says this. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, who has authority over death. Say it, say it. Who has authority over death? Jesus. Complete. Total. Check this out. Authority over every nation. Look at Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of... Hey, hey, pray this over election time. Pray this. Here's your prayer for elections. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Complete sovereignty. How about this one? Let's drill it down more personal for a sec. He has authority over every situation and outcome. What are you facing today? Do you truly believe Jesus has authority over your situation? Because if you do, and you submit to him in that, it changes everything. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. Whose counsel are you seeking in that situation? He says, my counsel is going to stand in it, not Facebook's, mine. Not this cultural, worldly wisdom, mine. And I will accomplish my purpose. And I love this. He has total authority over the mission of the church. Matthew 16, 18b says, Jesus says, I will, promise number one, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, promise number two, shall not prevail against it. Only someone with complete authority can say that. And so here's Jesus gathering the disciples on this hill in Galilee. He's like, hey, fearful ones, doubting ones, I see your heart. I know you're doubting. You're like, can this be true? What does all this mean? Any of you go through doubt this week? And he says, here, doubting ones, fearful ones, the success of this mission, you must understand, before I give you the mission, you must realize the success of this mission is not based on your accolades, it's based on my authority. It's not based on how well you do church. It's based on my authority. It's not based on how, quote unquote, qualified in this world you are. It's based on my authority. We have to understand this, loved ones. Or we will shift to man-centered strategy every single time. And drift. It's not based on how good you are. Jesus says it's based on how great I am. That's comforting. Anyone comforted by that? See, the mission, I love this. Jesus says here, the mission is going to succeed because my authority guarantees it. The question is, will you be faithful in it? Because I will accomplish my will. And I have chosen instruments that I want to use, but will you be faithful in it? The success of the mission will succeed because my authority guarantees it. So look around today, loved ones. Look at, look at this world today. Does this truth right here, does this statement right here, 
give you confidence and comfort when you go out into the world? That Jesus Christ has all authority over whatever you're going to face today and tomorrow? Hey, students, what about when you go into exam period in a little bit? Sorry to scare you. Whoa. But here's the reality. Does it comfort you that Jesus Christ has authority over that? And that we're called to submit to him in that. And when we do, we can rest in him. And we can have faith in him. That he is working all of that together for his glory. You can look around and be like, what do you mean Jesus has all authority? Have you seen the world around us? It's like chaos. Death increase. Increase of fear. Increase of hatred. Increase of despair. Increase of hostilities. What do you mean Jesus has authority? Increase of hostility against the church. And we can begin to think, does Christ truly have all authority? Should we be thinking of other strategies of how to see the mission fulfilled? Can he really be trusted? The answer is yes. But the question is, Jesus Christ has all authority, but will you, will we as a church submit to him? Question, drill it down a little deeper. Whose authority are you submitting to right now over every part of your life, every single part? It's not like, well, I'll give Jesus this part, but not my finances. I'll give Jesus this part, but not what I'm looking at on the internet. I'll give Jesus this part, but not my desire for a relationship here or not my finances because I want to go ahead and make some really foolish purchases. Really? Whose authority has over those areas of your life, over your marriage, over your kids, Because here's why this is so important. You'll see it on the screen. Here's the truth. Who or what you say has the authority will be your priority. Who or, say, who or what you say has the authority will be your priority. If you make yourself the authority, your agendas, you're going to move everything in your life towards that. Who or what you say has the authority will be your priority. If I say my money has the authority, I'm focusing on that. If I say my job has the authority, I'm going to focus on that. And subjugate Christ's authority under that. So pretty soon my service to Christ becomes just when it's convenient for me. You could say it this way. Say the question this way, loved ones. Whose authority will shape your view? and ultimately have your submission? Whose authority is shaping your view over how you view your family right now? Whose authority is shaping your view over your finance? Who's Students, whose authority is shaping your view over your classes this year, over your workloads? Who, whose authority is shaping your view over your agenda and your desires? Who's that? Whose is it? In the counsel you seek out, How about us as a church? You know, I'm so blessed that Jeff is here today. Yeah, I'm putting you on the spot. I get it. But I'm so blessed that he's here today. He's a very dear friend and a co-laborer in the gospel, and I trust him. But you know what I was reminded of as I was thinking of this and thinking of what God has entrusted to us is that we have given our lives we have given our lives to steward the entrustment of God's church and the mission that he has given us faithfully in submission to Christ. There's no other mission. If it's not this, then what? If it's not Jesus is your authority, then what? Who? Could you possibly think you're honoring the Lord by serving? Why are we so committed to this? Because here's this underlying truth, loved ones. Jesus Christ is our king. He is our king. And we are his servants. And John 13, 16 says, there is no servant greater than the master. No servant is greater than their master. So who are we to strip authority away from the king over our lives and over this church? What authority is shaping your view today? There's only one authority we submit to. And we must understand, you'll see this on the screen, submission to the authority of Christ is the first step to living on mission for Christ. If you miss that piece, you're not going anywhere. Submission to the authority of Christ under his word 
is the first step to living on mission for Christ. Why? Because here's the beautiful thing that submission does. Our flesh rails against submission. We want to be the king of our lives. We want to have the authority of our lives. Our flesh rails against us. But here's the beautiful thing that happens when we humble ourselves under the authority of God. It moves us from the mission of me to the mission of he who has called me. It moves us from the mission of me, my wants, my time, what I want to do, to the mission of he, he who called me, he who saved me, he who entrusted me with this mission for his glory. To fulfill the mission of the church, we must submit to one authority over all Jesus Christ. That's where everything starts. Are you today? Just ask him, loved ones. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. Ask him as the Holy Spirit's bringing this. Just repent quietly in your chair. He's waiting. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. And based on Christ's authority, we see the second thing here. We must commit to one mandate in all. Everything we do, everything we are a part of, everywhere we go, we commit to one mandate that Jesus said. What is it? Make disciples. Make disciples disciples. The question is this, we see in verse 19 and 20, to be a disciple is to make disciples. Am I committed to this? To be a disciple is to make disciples. Am I committed to this? Look at 19 and the first part of 20. So based on his authority, Jesus then says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. So you see here in verse 19, after Jesus declares his authority to them, he now gives the disciples the mission of the church that he's entrusting them with. So here's the what and the how. It is to be carried out. Now, here's one thing before we move any further. You will not find a second great commission anywhere. You won't, it's not in here. The mission hasn't changed from the first century to now. From before time began to now. It hasn't changed. And the method that Christ has given us to do that and that he promises to bless hasn't changed either. Okay? And so we have to keep that in mind before we move any thir- further. And he says, go therefore. Based, a circle, go therefore. Based on my authority, Jesus says, over all things. Not based on your skill. Not based on your savvy. Not based on your eloquence. He says, based on my authority over all things, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, let's get some context. When he says all nations, before this, he's ministering to the house of Israel, he says, the Jewish people. But now he says, go to all nations. So he's like, he's not negating the Jewish people, but now he's including the Gentiles. Who's a Gentile? A non-Jew. He's including all nations, all people, every tribe, every tongue, every race, every ethnicity, every skin color, every socioeconomic status, every position, every age. Look at our church. The gospel is for all. Anyone who preaches a gospel that says otherwise is false. The gospel is for all. And so he entrusts them with the mission to make disciples. We have to be clear on, okay, so what's a disciple? Let's make sure we're on the same page. Disciple, the Greek for disciple means this. One who progressively learns God's word and is increasingly obedient to the lifestyle it requires. God gives us his power. He gives us his spirit living inside of us upon salvation. And then he progressively and increasingly roots us and builds us and establishes us in the faith in his image. This, what is a disciple? One who's growing in maturity as a Christ follower. Just look at last week's sermon. You want to know what that looks like. That's a disciple. One who's rooted in sound doctrine, the sound teaching of God's word increasingly. Increasingly being built up in him. That means as we take steps of obedience by his power, he transforms us more into the image of Christ. And then as it overflows, increasingly established and steadfast in the faith. Why? Healthy roots always bear healthy fruits. 
That's what happens when we're increasingly rooted. Healthy roots bear healthy fruits. The image of God increasingly in us is very healthy fruit. Would you agree? Amen. But here's the thing. He even says in John 15, 8, he says, By this my Father's glorified, that you bear fruit and prove to be my disciples. What's fruit? There it is. Rooted, built up, and established in you. I love how commentator Charles Price put it this way. You see it on the screen. He says, making disciples involves more than encouraging people to call on God to help in times of need. Hey, loved ones, even unbelievers call on God in times of need. That's not making disciples. It call, discipleship calls people to enter into a relationship with Christ which will permeate. That means increasingly spread or saturate every part of one's life. Marriage, work, private times, computer time, entertainment choices, schooling, whatever it is, permeate every part, 24 hours of every day, making the disciple available to the purposes of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, dependent, increasingly dependent on the resources of Jesus Christ in every area of their lives. Discipleship shifts the dependency from us and increasingly puts it on Christ. Now notice here, as Christ is talking to the disciples, live in the text again. Christ is making no distinction for their role in who he trusts the mission to. Notice this. What do you mean by that? He's not like he's saying, okay, so here's the mission, make disciples. But Matthew, uh, yeah, you're a tax collector, so that's not going to go well because you don't have any credibility. Your past is going to be dogging you, so I can't use you. So this doesn't apply to you. He's like, well, Peter, well, yeah, you're kind of the leader of the disciples, so I need you because you've got some relational capital here. But Thomas, Thomas, I don't even think about this. I mean, your doubt is too crippling for you to be used by me. Jesus isn't making a distinction based on their past, based on their role. It's based on his authority and who he is and making them new in him. Who's sitting under condemnation and guilt? today needed to hear it Jesus calls all his followers to discipleship whether you realize or whether you think you're qualified or not if you are a true follower of Christ loved ones then you are a disciple of Christ and because you are a disciple of Christ you are called to make disciples for Christ not to sit in your room, not to keep everything to yourself. You are called to make disciples, as am I. Every age, nation, every opportunity. Listen, loved one, in case you're wondering about this, Jesus didn't call you to be his child because you were qualified for it. Okay? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourself, not based on your works. Why? So that no one, not you, not me, can boast. Jesus didn't call you because you're qualified. He qualifies you because he called you. He gives you his spirit. He gives you his power. He gives you his grace. He gives you his mercy. He gives you his boldness. He gives you his faith. So this mindset of, well, I could never be used because, really, Jesus says otherwise. And he's got authority, so we need to listen. So question, being a disciple is making disciples. Are you committed to this? Are we as a church? And you may say this, well, wait a second, how do you make disciples? The imperative we see right here is go and make disciples. What does it mean to make a disciple? How has God commanded us? What's the blueprint he's given us? Well, just keep reading the text. Let's look at 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What's the first thing we see here? Proclaiming salvation in Christ alone. Here's the first thing, proclamation. Salvation in Christ alone. Notice there where he says go. Don't miss that. That's a key word. Circle that. Go means literally to move from one place to another. Move from one place to another. What does that imply? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. He didn't say this. Notice what Jesus didn't say when he said go therefore. He didn't say go uh, when you feel like it. Go when you feel you're ready. Go when you feel comfortable. 
Go when you feel it's convenient for you. Go when the timing lines up with your timing. Go when you have every detail planned out. Go when you feel qualified. Go when the cost isn't too high. Go when all your critics are silenced. Just wait till everybody agrees. Then go. And are we called to submit to wise counsel under God's word? Yes, absolutely. Too often we use it as an excuse to do nothing. See, what we see here, right, from these two words, go therefore, is this. Christ's mission means our movement. I'll say it again. Christ's mission means our movement. Our king, loved ones, Hope Ottawa, our king says go, therefore. Go across the street to your neighbors. Go around your dinner table with your family or with your roommates. Go when you're playing Lego with your kids. Go into your classroom, students. Go overseas when I call you. Go to the, when you go to the grocery store, go therefore and make disciples. Go into Hope Kids and make disciples. Go in the welcome ministry, make disciples. Go and set up, tear up, make disciples. Go in your workplace, therefore, and make disciples. I've got authority over your workplace. I know what's coming. And I've put you there. And you say, well, what's the big deal with this? Why is this so important, this proclamation piece first? Romans 10, 14 to 15 and 17 says this. How then will they, what's that, unbelievers, how then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they never heard? You cannot be saved if you do not hear the gospel preached. How are they to believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone what? Preaching. And how are they to preach unless they're sent? Go therefore. So faith comes through hearing. Saving faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You say, but I'm not a preacher. I don't do Greek exegesis. Listen, loved ones, we're not saying you got to go and run the Romans road with your classmate. Don't worry. Are we faithful with the opportunities to say who we believe in, why we believe that, and what he's done in our lives and point others to him? The opportunities are there. The question is, will you and I go? Or will we sit back in fear or apathy or trepidation? Or will we go? Our king has commanded we go. And he hasn't just commanded, you'll see in a moment, he's given us all the resources and the game plan here for how it's done. Question, who has Jesus, no, let me ask it this way. Who has heard of Jesus because God has put you around them? Are you committed to go? Are we as a church down the hall? Cross the street, hey, true story. This morning, I was praying, I had the privilege of praying with the welcome team, literally hot off the press this morning. And we were praying and asking the Lord for people from our neighborhood to come into church. And we finished praying, there's a man standing the hallway, right behind the prayer circle. I said, hey, who are you? He goes, I live just around the corner. I was just walking in here and I'm wondering, I didn't know a church was here. Can I come and attend this church someday? It's right there. Go there for, loved ones. Go there for. You don't have to be savvy in your mind and have these big strategies. Jesus has given it to you, and he's preparing the hearts. 
Are we committed to making disciples through a life of proclamation? A life that declares that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, came to earth, lived a perfect life for 33 years, died in the grave to pay the penalty for our sin, and was risen again three days later, defeating death for all time, that all who repent of their sin and confess him as their Lord and Savior, regardless of their past, regardless of their brokenness, he offers them new life in him today. And today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He's waiting and he has all authority to change a life. We proclaim it. We declare it. And you may say this, loved ones, Sometimes, I, I'm right there with you. Sometimes you say, I'm scared. What will it mean? What will it mean for my family? What will it mean for my job? What was this? Hey, listen, you know what I found really comforting when it happens? 2 Timothy 1.7. Word of God says this. When you were saved in Jesus Christ, you did not receive a spirit of fear. That's not coming from Jesus. You received a spirit of power and love and self-control. And love compels us to proclaim salvation in Christ alone. Like I love the church plants. You see that? They're going. I remember that day two and a half years ago. Lord, what does this mean? I'm not qualified for any of this. He's not looking for qualification. He's looking for faithfulness. So then we see it's proclaiming salvation in Christ alone. But here's another thing. How do we make disciples? Right here. Keep reading. Baptizing. Identification with Christ. Just go back to the text. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for baptizo, because there can be confusion about this. The Greek word for baptizo that we see throughout Scripture is this. Submerge or immerse. To submerge or immerse in water as a symbol or a public declaration of one's faith in Jesus Christ. Let's make some clarity here. You say, well, wait a second. You told to proclaim. I thought maybe you grew up here and you, you thought baptism saved you. Let me, let me just say a few things to that first. Baptism doesn't save you. We see that clearly right here in our commission blueprint that Jesus gives us. Baptism, you want you to think of it this way, loved ones. Baptism is not a means of salvation, but it's a means of identification. Baptism is not a means to salvation. It is a means of identification that publicly declares one's new life in Christ and inclusion into the body of Christ. Upon salvation, you are brought into the Christ body and baptism is the symbol of that. That's why Jesus did this and modeled this in his own baptism. We immerse in the water. That's, that's the picture, the symbol of us dying to our old life before Christ and then being raised again is the picture of our new life in Christ. From the dead, made alive in Christ. See, baptism doesn't bring you into God's family. Only as we saw hearing the word of God, repenting of your sin and confessing him as your Lord and Savior can do that. Saving faith does not come through baptism. It's an identification of a decision that has already been made through repentance and faith in Christ alone. And we see this here. It's commanded by God. Baptism. Notice he didn't say here. Jesus says, go therefore make disciples of all nations and then wait 20 years and then get baptized. Doesn't say that. What does he say? Baptism is to be the first step of obedience after one has confessed their sin and repented of it and surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Notice the order. Would you agree with me? God is a God of order? I'd say so. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Proclaim salvation in me. Make the disciple. See them saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what? Baptize them. What came first? Baptism or salvation? And salvation comes through hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. It's not waiting until this. Maybe there's some here waiting on this. They're like, well, I'll wait till I've, I sin less. 
and then I'll get baptized. I'll wait till I know more of the Bible, and then I'll get baptized. Or it's, no, no, no. It's saying my king has commanded it, and I will obey. My king has commanded it. Well, I'll get baptized, and then maybe later on confess him. No. My king has commanded it, and I will obey. Question, have you taken the step of obedience to Christ through baptism? I have great news for you this morning. You'll see it on the screen. We have a baptism service coming up. It's coming up. Finalizing the date, but it's coming. By God's grace, it's coming. There's a sign-up desk at the back. If the Lord is stirring your heart right now, go to the back, sign your name up, pick up a baptism booklet, Start reading through that and I will connect with you and we'll walk through that together. Answering your questions about taking this next step of obedience. I love how Acts 22, 16 says this in regards to baptism. Why do you wait? What are you waiting for? Looking forward to that Sunday. Lastly, we see here, uh, we Make disciples by proclaiming salvation in Christ alone, by baptizing for identification with Christ. And then here, it's not done yet, teaching for maturation in Christ. Look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The word teach there, the Greek means to instruct, to provide ongoing instruction in Scripture. To see a person observe. What's observe? To obey or hold fast all that Jesus commands through his word. It's not you and I picking and choosing the parts we want to obey when it's convenient. It's teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us and in realizing it's a direct order to do something. It's the day-to-day activities, teaching others to observe. It's not just a pulpit on a Sunday. Hey, maybe for some of you, your pulpit's a cubicle. Maybe for some of you, your pulpit is a desk in a classroom or a house full of roommates. Maybe for some of you, your pulpit's around your dinner table with your family, with your spouse, with your neighbors. Maybe your pulpit's cutting your grass. And Jesus says, make disciples. All that he commands to see that person to see ourselves increasingly conformed by the power of his spirit to his image as we obey him by his power that is at work in us we have to we have to realize something what we see right here in this threefold part of the command to make disciples you ever notice this in the great commission the final goal is not conversion to christ you see that in the great commission the final goal is not conversion to christ it's conformity to christ There's a big difference. It's not conversion to Christ as the final goal. That's a part of it. But it's conformity. Increasingly rooted, built up, and established in the faith. And I want to encourage you. If you're like, this seems like impossible. Remember, loved ones, it's not about perfection. It's about perseverance in the power of the Spirit. You and I, Jesus said it so plainly, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not like you could walk out of here white knuckle and say, I'm going to be a more into the image of Christ today. Good luck with that. It's going to get you till someone like cuts you off in traffic, right? It's in the power of the spirit. And as, as we walk increasingly rooted in Christ and we see sin in our lives, we're quicker to repent of that. And the Holy Spirit kicks it out and refines us more into the image of God to continue to walk being built up and established in him. So question, to be a disciple is to make disciples. Are you committed to this? And I, now I want you to think, I want you to think. This is what we're called to commit our lives to right here. But I want you to think about this. Who has God put around you to teach and model his word to? Who has he put around you? They're everywhere. There's nine billion people on this planet. He's put people around you. All right? They are everywhere. How about this? Maybe your spouse. Maybe it's your parents. 
Maybe it's to disciple kids younger than you. Did you know, by God's grace, there's over 50 kids in Hope Kids now? Did you know that, by God's grace? Right down that hall. Make disciples, loved ones. See the next generation pass that on. How about your brothers and sisters in Christ just taking someone on your wing or, or coming together, going for coffee, meeting for that disciple? This is why I love small groups. If you have not applied for a small group yet, let, do that today. This is why we disciple one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. College students, hey, we have so many college students' families. Why don't you adopt one for the next eight months? Invite them over. Pour into their lives. Care for them. They're far from home, most of them. Because here's the truth. We have to understand, though, if we're going to do this and be faithful in the mission of Christ by his power, we have to be growing as a disciple ourselves. Because you and I can't lead where we're not going. We can lead to a place we've never been, right? but we can't lead to a place we're not going. If we, want, if we are called to disciple others, to be rooted, built up, and established in faith, guess what we need to be doing by God's power? The same thing. You don't have to have it all figured out. It could be just a couple steps ahead. But being a disciple is making disciples. So what's your next step? Because to fulfill the mission of the church We must submit to one authority, Jesus Christ, commit to one mandate in making disciples, and lastly is this, we must believe in one promise through it all, Christ with us. And the final question that we're confronted with is this, Christ has promised us his presence, will I depend on him? Christ has promised us his presence, will I depend on him? Look at this promise at the back half of 20. And behold, I am with you always, In the trial, when it's dark, when you're sick, when you're hurting, when you're discouraged, I am with you always. When you don't feel like you have anything to give, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice the word behold there. Every time you see behold in scripture, it's kind of like a divine highlighter. Jesus is highlighting that what's about to come next we need to pay attention and listen to of importance. Jesus gives the disciples and us today the greatest promise he could give for us as we seek to be faithful in the mission he's given us, that he will be with us. What does that term with mean? It's kind of Jesus hanging around in a corner backstage. What does this mean? Here's what the term with means. Ready? Write this down. It means this. I will be attentive to and in the company of you. Whatever you're going through right now, did you know Jesus is attentive to that? Are you depending on him in it? I will be attentive to you. I see it. I know you're hurting. Will you turn to me and depend on me? I see the pain. I see the tears. I see the struggle, loved one. Will you depend on me? I see the doubt. And you see that where it says, I will be with you what? Sometimes? I will be with you always. You know what the Greek word for always means? Always. Like all the time. I will be with you always, no matter how difficult that mission may be. No matter what opposition may come against us, individually or corporately as a church, Jesus' presence will be with us right to the end of the age when he comes back and establishes his earthly kingdom. And here's the truth we need to take from this point right here. The presence of God is our greatest gift in the mission of God. That's why the enemy works so hard to get you and me to seek out other things to depend on. Because the presence of God is the greatest gift in the mission of God. Why? Because in him, in Jesus Christ, is all we need. This is why the most, the greatest prayer you can pray as a follower of Christ is say, Lord, give us your presence over your performance for us. 
Give us your presence. In you is all we need. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the reality. If you look around today, there's so many believers, so many churches pursuing or preoccupied with programs and getting more money and seeking more status and seeking man-made strategies and missing the very hope and the very provision that Christ has given us to fulfill the mission. What is it? His presence. And in case you're wondering if that's enough, I did a little systematic theology study on Jesus' presence. And because there's 26 letters in the alphabet, I just stopped at 26. So you're going to see it on the screen. You might want to get a camera ready or download it from our website for when you're in that situation and you need this promise over your life and over your heart. Ready? From God's presence, here's what it means. Flows God's power. Acts 1. I'm not going to go through all of these. I just put the reference there. You study these this week. From God's presence will flow God's power. From God's presence flows God's hope. From God's presence flows God's peace. Right in that situation. Where do you need it right now? Are you depending on him? Do you believe Jesus Christ is with you? Where are you going to for your peace, loved one? From God's presence doesn't come just come his peace. comes his faith. Faith in that trial, faith in that situation. Here's the next one. From God's presence flows God's grace. God's grace that is sufficient for us. From God's presence flows God's mercy for you. In that situation, new every morning, Lamentations 3. From God's presence comes God's compassion for you. He sees and is attentive to your broken heart and your concern and your fear. Comes his compassion. But get this, from God's presence comes God's comfort comfort for you. From God's presence comes God's goodness towards you. From Christ's presence comes Christ's companionship with you. From Christ's presence comes Christ's joy right in the middle of the heartache. From Christ's presence comes intimacy with Christ. From Christ's presence comes Christ's wisdom in that situation. From Christ's presence comes Christ's clarity in that situation. When you're so wondering what to do, seek first the kingdom. Seek first God's presence. It will come in his time. From Christ's presence comes Christ's truth in that situation. What do I believe? What do I believe? Christ's presence brings Christ's truth. Christ's presence brings Christ's words. When he gives you an opportunity to share your faith, he gives you the words around that dinner table. When your kids ask you that or your classmate. From Christ's presence comes Christ's guidance. From Christ's presence comes his discipline. From Christ's presence comes his forgiveness. From Christ's presence comes his cleansing. From Christ's presence comes his protection. From Christ's presence comes his assurance. From Christ's presence comes his fruitfulness. From Christ's presence comes his provision. Anyone seeking God for a provision? From Christ's presence comes provision. All we need. From Christ's presence comes Christ's loyalty. From Christ's presence comes Christ's glory. And I'm going to add one here. From Christ's presence comes true satisfaction. Psalm 63. There it is. Behold, I am with you always, loved one. But will you depend on him? Will I? will we. And the beautiful thing is you say, well, I can't earn this. You're right. It is not based on your merit or mine. It's based on his never-ending steadfast love and mercy for you and me. Last question. Just keep it on there, team. Christ has promised us his presence. There it is. Will you depend on him? Do you believe that's true? For non-believers, maybe you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your personal Savior. You don't have access to any of this. This is found in Christ alone. Not in any other religion, not in any man-made strategy, in Christ alone. And your first step is to repent of your sin, recognize that you are a sinner separated from your Savior, and today confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. And for us who've already made that decision Let's just ask, where do you need to put dependence on him today and repent of what you're substituting for him? There it is. Where do you need to put your dependence on him again? The church that fulfills God's mission submits to his authority, 
commits to Christ's mandate and believes Christ's promise that in him is all we need. This is our king. Look at this. This is our king. This is our mission. And this is his promise. You in church? You in? You in church? Let's get after him. After him. First love above all. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are king. Jesus Christ, you have all authority. Jesus Christ, you have given us one mission to make disciples. Jesus Christ, you have given us all we need from your presence with us. Everything we will need right now in the future, everything we've needed in the past has been found in you. God, I pray right now that we would see the greatness of our God and declare it rightly. And God, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, if there's any area we are depending on that is not you, we'd be so quick to repent of that and say, great are you, Lord. Not great what I'm trusting in. Great are you, Lord. And for that person right now that has never decided to follow you, Jesus Christ, I ask by your mercy you would open their heart right now and they would respond and say, yes, Lord, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. You have all authority, Jesus. Take it. Take my life. Because great are you. Lord.